are going to be continuing our study in Advent this morning. Our Advent series this week is going to focus on Mary, uh, and we'll learn this week about Mary, who spent a lifetime uh, learning about her son. And so that's going to be our focus today. But uh, as I think of the name Mary, and it being Christmas time, could everybody just turn around to the camera and say, Hi, Mary, quick. Hi, Mary. <laughs> We love you, Mary, and we miss you, and uh, we wish you could be here with us today. And Margaret, if you're watching, uh, we love you and miss you too, and pray that you'll be back soon. Uh, what a blessing it is to, uh, to be among God's people this morning. So uh, let's talk about Mary. Uh, a lifetime spent learning about her son is what uh, we're learning about Mary today. Uh, so those of us who have been married uh, for some time, uh, we're always kind of still learning about our spouses, right? Have you, has your spouse ever surprised you? Like, even when you've been married a long time, has that ever happened? Yeah, that, that can happen, even, even for some of you who've been married for 50, 60 years, right? Uh, I'm still surprised by some of the things that Molly thinks and says and some of the emotions that I see that I wasn't expecting that just kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, they surprise me when, when these things happen. And, you know, when you commit your life to someone, you, uh, you spend your life just kind of learning the nuances of that other person, and uh, you kind of think you have it down, and then you realize, no, I don't even have close to having this down. It takes a long time. It takes your lifetime to, to learn about the intimate details of every other person. And as soon as we think we might have it, then we realize, you know, we're constantly changing. We're constantly growing. Uh, things happen in our lives, and, and, you know, things change us, and we're not the person that we were a few years ago. And uh, we enter into new periods of joy, let's say, when, uh, you know, maybe it's the, the, the marriage of your child, or maybe it's the birth of a grandchild, or something like that. And we enter into new periods of joy together. And Together, we'll also enter into periods of sorrow. There's, there's pain and loss in life, and we know these things because we've experienced them. And, but as we discover new things with our spouses, uh, we, we discover them uh, and new seasons begin. And uh, it's really, it's a glorious journey, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing to get to share your life with someone and experience all of these things together. Now, when you have children, it's somewhat different. You know, you choose your spouse uh, God chooses your child, and you get the child that God has given you. And, uh, of course, it's a blessed thing. It's a glorious thing. They're born into our families. They live under our roofs. And then uh, we know, or at least you know, we hope someday, that they're going to move out and get a job and start a family and uh, do the things that they're supposed to do as they grow up. And uh, that's the natural order of things, right? That's the way that it's supposed to be. And so... Think of Mary just as a typical regular, regular mother, just like any of you mothers here. She's raising this child, Jesus, uh, and yet uh, she's got a different kind of child than you and I have, right? Because uh, she wanted to know this child and understand him, uh, one, because he was her child, but second, because of the way this child was conceived and the revelation, all the revelation that she received about this child, what, what would this child become? Uh, but Jesus would always be something of a mystery, something of an enigma to her, uh, a perfect, sinless child. Like, how can we possibly understand that, right? We can't even get out of bed in the morning before we've committed our first sin. Uh, and uh, it's even harder when you're a child, when you're born with this innate selfishness that somehow uh, Jesus didn't seem to have. Uh, so Mary, we're going to see, spent her life learning about this child of hers who was not only her child, but also her Lord and Savior, and conceived in her by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So of the characters that we've studied uh, in this Advent series so far, uh, we have far more information about Mary than we had about Zacharias, Elizabeth, or Joseph, which is a nice thing in some respects. It's always nice to have a lot of details about the person you're studying. No biographer is ever going to complain that he's got too many sources of information about the person he's studying but, uh, or she is studying. But what we do know is that it makes it awfully hard to cover this one life, uh, this big life, in a single Sunday. But uh, we're going to try and do that. Uh, so what we're going to do today is... Uh, I'm going to reference a lot of scripture passages, and any one of them would be enough for one Sunday. But what we're going to do instead is to kind of take a 30,000-foot view of Mary's life so we can see the end from the beginning. And what I want us to see is the progress of revelation given to her, how she learned about the identity of this child over the course of the years, uh, not only by living with Jesus, but uh, through other people. Uh, and I was struck this week as I was studying this passage that or this life, that people keep coming into Mary's life and dumping new revelation on her that she hadn't had before, uh, whether it's angels, prophets, uh, wise men, or just regular people, or Jesus himself. Uh, she's constantly receiving new information and learning about this son of hers, and she treasured these things, and she pondered them in her heart as we read. So as the 30-plus years of Jesus' life went on, uh, Mary matured. She grew in knowledge. She grew in understanding. And so what we want to do is try to put ourselves in Mary's shoes this week and take the journey of uh, Jesus' life with her uh, and see what she learned from the people that she met. And uh, we'll start with the birth story, and we'll end all the way in Acts in Pentecost. And what we want to understand is that the things that she learned about Jesus are the very things that we need to learn about Jesus. We need to understand the same things she did because we have the same need that she had, and she had the same need that we have. We all need to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we need to become his disciples just like Mary did. So let's start with the revelation that, Jesus, that Mary received at Jesus' birth story or during the birth story. And during his birth story, Mary learned, first of all, from Gabriel, that Mary would be the mother of the Messiah. I won't take the time to reread the passage that Dave and Lynn read to us already, but I just want to remind you that uh, from the sermon that we did on Elizabeth, that uh, every woman who was in the line of David or who was married to someone from the line of David would certainly have been hopeful uh, that they might be honored to be the mother of the Messiah. Uh, and Mary was from David's line, and Joseph was from David li David's line, so she was qualified in that regard. Uh, but then the question is, well, how would anybody know whether they were chosen to be uh, the, the mother of the Messiah or not? Well, one sure sign would be an angelic visit, right? Uh, and that's just what Mary got. She got an angelic visit from Gabriel. And then another sure sign would be if the child was going to be born from a virgin, which was exactly what Gabriel said would happen with Mary. So Isaiah chapter 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is the prophecy uh, made uh, to Mary that she's going to bear this child, and it's uh, from a prophecy given 700 years earlier. And Mary, of course, wouldn't understand the exact mechanics of how this pregnancy was going to happen, uh, but she was undoubtedly familiar with this Isaiah passage, and so uh, she says to Gabriel, May it be done 
according to your word. And so we get this piece of information that she's going to be the mother, but she's also told the child is going to be great and he's going to be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over uh, that throne and that kingdom, the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. So those words would have brought this uh, prophecy from Isaiah chapter nine into her mind, which says this, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. So think about all that Mary learned in just this one visit from Gabriel. First of all, she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And second, probably the three most important prophecies that were given about the Messiah were fulfilled by Gabriel in this one passage. He's going to be born of a virgin. Uh, he's going to sit on the kingdom of David forever. And he's going to be born of the line of David. All of this in this one visit. So she's gathering information. And then after she uh, was finished with Gabriel, then she goes immediately and she visits Elizabeth. And from Elizabeth, she learned that Mary was the mother of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting phrase, the Lord. Uh, after Mary greeted Elizabeth, Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Now, Mary already knew that she was favored and special and chosen because Gabriel addressed her that way. He called her favored one. Uh, and she was the one who was going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. But who is this Messiah? What would he do? What were the expectations? Uh, we read throughout the Gospels that the Jews were expecting this military Messiah who was going to come and free them from Roman oppression and restore the uh, kingdom of Israel to the glory days that it had back in the days of David and Solomon a thousand years earlier. Now, David and Solomon were great kings, right? We know them as kings. But Mary, uh, Elizabeth just called Mary's child, my Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know from Elizabeth's use of the language that she seemed to have a lot more information about this child than even Mary did at that point. Uh, the Greek word for Lord is the word kurios, and it can be used to mean a term of respect, like when you call somebody sir. But more often than not, it's also used as a term of deity. And that seems to be how Elizabeth is using that word in this particular passage. Uh, we, we know from Elizabeth's story that uh, she received revelation from the Holy Spirit that the Messiah was going to be more than just a king. He was going to be the Lord. And so after hearing this, Mary sang the song of praise that we know of as the Magnificat, uh, where she glorified God for this amazing uh, revelation that had been given to her. And then she stayed with Elizabeth for three months and went home. Now, not, after, not long after she uh, got home, a census was called. Caesar Augustus called a census of the whole uh, Roman world. And so Joseph and Mary had to go down to Bethlehem. Uh, and that's where uh, Mary gave birth to Jesus. And Jesus' first visitors down in Bethlehem were these shepherds who were out tending their flocks at night. And from the shepherds, she learned that Mary's child would be a savior. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, Mary wasn't out in the fields with the shepherds when the, the heavenly host came down and they sang the song and uh, rejoiced and, and gave glory to God, but the shepherds came and they reported these things to Mary exactly as they happened, as we read in verses 17 to 19 of this passage, when they, the, uh, the shepherds, that is, had seen this, they made the statement known which had been made uh, to them about this child, and all who heard it wondered about the things which were told them by the shepherd. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And so uh, this is only one of two times in the Gospels that Jesus is referred to as a savior. Uh, Savior means a rescuer, a a deliverer, a a preserver. Uh, That's how they would have understood that word. Now, the shepherds and Mary, they may not have understood the differences between the word Messiah and Savior. To them, they probably both words meant the same thing, where they're going to save us, this Messiah is going to save us from Rome. Uh, But the angel of the Lord who brought the message would certainly have known the difference, right? Uh, And Mary, she would come to understand that there was a difference over time. See, the fact that Jesus is our Savior doesn't mean that he's Savior of the people from Rome. It means that that he will save the people from their sins, as we talked about last week when the angel revealed to Joseph that you call this child by the name of Yeshua, uh, which means the Lord saves because he will save the people from their sins. Salvation from Rome lasts for as long as the people live, but salvation from your sins lasts for all eternity. And that's why the gospel is such good news. Now, Mary didn't understand all these things yet, but verse 19 says she treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And so what we see is that Mary has this memory bank, right, where she's storing little bits of information, little pieces of input that are coming in, and she's pondering all these things in her heart and getting to know uh, and think about who Jesus was uh, more and more uh, as time went on. And so Jesus is born. Eight days later, uh, they take him up to be dedicated to the temple. And there they met a man called Simeon. And from Simeon, she learned that Jesus would be assigned to be opposed and that a sword would pierce Mary's own heart. So Simeon was a priest. He's serving in the temple. The Lord had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's anointed. And so when Joseph and Mary come and they bring uh, Jesus to Simeon, Simeon knows by revelation that this is the child that he has been waiting for. And so Simeon called Jesus a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's a lot of information there from Simeon. Uh, Mary learned from Simeon that Jesus would not only be a light to the Jews, but to the Gentiles also, and that would probably conjure up in her memory uh, how God spoke to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12, saying that I will bless you and I will bless the nations of the world through you, uh, which would include the Gentiles. And so Mary was amazed at these things that were being said about him. And then 
for the very first time, we get a little bit of adversity here, right? This is the first time where, where there's this hint of trouble, this foreshadowing of bad things that are on, her, on the horizon where adversity is going to mark her child. Uh, so far, Jesus has been called child of the most high or uh, my Lord or Christ the Lord. But now Simeon says uh, that this child is appointed for the rise and the fall of many, a sign to be opposed. Uh, and the thoughts from many hearts are going to be revealed by this child. And we see early on what Jesus said later about himself, that uh, I came uh, with not to bring peace, but a sword to divide family against family over who Jesus was. And so uh, Mary is, is left reeling from this information. Uh, she's thinking, uh, what does all this mean? How do I understand this negative speech? Maybe she thought that it was uh, that he was going to be received uh, with opposition from Rome as some kind of political figure. Uh, she didn't really know. But the other prediction that a sword would pierce her own soul too uh, must have put a lump in her throat and sent a chill down her spine as she thought about what that might have meant. Uh, you know, it's not recorded here, but it's really hard to imagine that Mary left it at that, right? Like, didn't follow up with about 100 questions for Simeon. Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, how many of you moms would have left Simeon without uh, full details, as much as you could have, about what uh, that phrase meant? Well, uh, those things aren't recorded for us. We don't know what she said, but I imagine that she gave Simeon the best grilling she could before she could uh, walk away and find out what uh, he meant by that. But what we do know is that Simeon's prophecy, of course, was later fulfilled as she watched Jesus hang on the cross and die. And we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But after meeting with Simeon, uh, Joseph and Mary went back to Jerusalem. And then about a year and a half, probably later, uh, there uh, she met the Magi, the wise men from the east in Jerusalem. And we see that. And what, they learned, uh, what she learned from the wise men is that this son of hers was to be worshipped as a god, as God himself. So uh, these wise men, they were kings of Persia, and they're descendants of the astrologers and astronomers from uh, Daniel chapter 3, uh, from Persia. And so Matthew chapter 2 says, When they, the magi, the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, these magi are, they're mysterious figures. They're kind of just shrouded in this mystery that we really can't understand who they are. But whoever they were, it must have been shocking for Mary that they had this whole caravan of people traveling on camels 500 miles across the desert to visit this child Jesus. And if that weren't enough, when they get there, they fall down before him and they worship him. Now, from Mary's perspective, this is a whole new layer of revelation about who this child is. Uh, no one receives worship except God alone. And so they're worshiping him. And I wonder, as Mary's watching this, is she going to stop them and say, wait a minute, you're violating the law. Nobody worships uh, a child. We worship God and God only. But it doesn't seem like she stopped them because she actually received their gifts and pondered these things in her heart. Well, after the wise men left and she saw that the child was a child who was going to be worshipped, uh, we have a gap of about 10 years before we see anything in Jesus' life again. Uh, this is in the middle of Jesus' life now when Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. Uh, there's a gap of time when Joseph and Mary took uh, Jesus up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover and then they ha accidentally left him there in the temple. 
And now Jesus was old enough for Mary to start learning from the child, Jesus himself. Uh, and that's what we're going to see here. So uh, from Jesus at age 12 during uh, his earthly life, uh, she learned from Jesus that his father, Jesus' father, is God. Remember the story. Uh, they went uh, to the Passover feast and then they left. And after traveling uh, on their way home, they realized that he wasn't among them. So after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not understand that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand this statement, which he had made to him. So here he is, 12 years old. He's in the temple and Jesus is teaching the teachers. And they were amazed at his understanding and they were amazed at his answers. But when Mary comes back with Joseph and, and found him there, uh, Mary's feelings were hurt. Now, all of you who have children know what this is like as your children uh, start to grow up. Uh, they, they grow up, they want to be more independent, they want to make decisions on their own, they don't want your interference so much. And uh, what you find is that uh, there's this kind of tug between them, right, as, as children start to assert their own independence. And when, when Jesus called the temple my father's house, at 12 years old, I think that had to be a bit of a zing to Mary and to Joseph. I think they kind of felt that one deeply. And I think that would be something that they would remember their entire lives because Jesus was kind of distancing himself, uh, separating himself from uh, his biological family and, and putting himself more in, in God's family. And I think that she was slapped back to reality with the idea that this child was hers and yet not hers at the same time because this child was from God and he was on a mission uh, to the world from God. And she probably wasn't quite ready yet for him to be so independent or to release him to the world. Verse 50 says that he did not, they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. But afterward, verse 51 says, he went down with them to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them. And again, his mother treasured these things in her heart. Well, what do you think it's like to raise the Son of God? Can you imagine what that must be like, how difficult that must be? Uh, how can we ever put ourselves in her shoes? Like every single time we look at this child and then compare this child to our own lives, it would call our sin uh, right front and center to our attention. And imagine the pressure on the other kids, right? Like, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus, right? That would be, that'd be a really hard thing to have to live under the pressure of having a perfect uh, older brother. Uh, so uh, they had to live in that house under that kind of pressure. Uh, but Mary was treasuring these things in her heart and she's pondering them. And I just wonder if she realized how special this child was. Verse 52 says that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So in his deity, he's not increasing in wisdom and stature, but in his humanity, he's increasing in wisdom and stature from this boy who's just a baby. He has to learn how to live on his own, right? And that just shows the humility of Jesus Christ, that he would come and live like, life like that. Well, that's all the information we have about Jesus until he begins his public ministry about 20 years later. 
And what we see is that Jesus is going to continue to teach Mary. And Mary is going to learn when Jesus' public ministry begins that Jesus has the power to do miracles. And we see this at the wedding in Cana in uh, John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Well, we know then that Jesus commanded them to fill the stone water pots all the way up to the brim, and then the water became wine. But Mary was the one who requested that he do something. Why? Why would Mary do that? Well, we don't know, but maybe this wasn't Jesus' first miracle. Maybe Mary had seen Jesus do something before that has not been recorded in the Gospels. Uh, We don't know that. But the fact that she spoke with such confidence to these attendants, uh, do whatever he tells you to do, means that uh, she knew that he could do something and even would do something about the lack of wine. And so we see that her knowledge of him continued to grow. And when he told her that his time had not yet come, Mary was not deterred. Uh, She just told those attendants, you do whatever he tells you to do. And then he did the miracle. So Jesus was growing in wisdom and stature, not only among men, but also in Mary's heart, in Mary's estimation, in Mary's own family. Now remember, Joseph had probably died by this time, right? If Joseph was alive, he would have been at the wedding of Cana. And since he's not there, he's most likely passed. Uh, So Jesus is the older son with at least five siblings that we know of. He's got three younger brothers who are named and two sisters at least who are unnamed in Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 13. And so here's Jesus. He's the man of the house now. Uh, He is the one who is going to be leading this family. And Mary had seen qualities in him that didn't exist in her other children or in in the other neighborhood children, right? Jesus was different from all these other children, Uh, not only sinless, but able to have power even over nature to do this miracle. And when you consider all the things that by this point in Mary's life, she knew about him, this next scene that we're going to look at really becomes perplexing. That's a little bit later on in uh, Jesus's ministry. And what Mary learns from Jesus here is that it's not blood relations, but a spiritual relationship that saves. In the first two and a half chapters of Mark, Jesus had healed a leper. Uh, He had healed a paralytic. He had created controversy by uh, uh, healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Uh, And then he called his disciples to himself uh, in the middle of chapter uh, three. And then he and his disciples returned back to his hometown of Capernaum. And then in his hometown of Capernaum, the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. Now, this expression, his own people, means your close friends, your close associates, or even your family. And probably it means your own family here, because it's going to be his family who's having this interaction with him uh, over the the course of this passage. Uh, So... If it is his family, uh, we would ask ourselves, Mary, knowing what you know at this point, how could you, of all people, think that Jesus had taken leave of his senses? Well, I think it's because Mary didn't fully understand Jesus's mission yet. Uh, She was starting to understand more and more about him, but there was still a lot that she did not yet know. 
Uh, she would want to know why he would intentionally incur the scorn of the Pharisees by challenging them, uh, doing works on the Sabbath, uh, creating public controversy. Uh, they thought he didn't need to do that and that he was publicly embarrassing the family. They thought he had become a fanatic who needed to be reeled in a little bit. And so Jesus has to correct them. And he says, uh, when he's told that his brothers and sisters are outside looking for him, uh, Jesus said this, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting around them, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my mother or my brother and sister and mother. Jesus explained that discipleship is not defined by blood relations, but by those who respond properly to God. And again, we see Jesus continuing to distance himself from his biological family and taking on uh, even more of this role that he has from God. Uh, he's not going to be what his family wants or expects him to be. And Mary watched him be transformed into this, from this young boy uh, into this man so famous that he doesn't even have time or space to sit down and have himself a meal. And yet still, the worst was yet to come. Can you imagine watching your child be unjustly executed, uh, hung on a cross, sent there by the people who you were supposed to be coming to save, the Jews, uh, and also nailed there by the people who you were supposed to save them from, the Romans. And that's what Mary had to watch. And so what Mary learned while Jesus was nailed to the cross was that Jesus came to die. She didn't know that yet, uh, but she's going to learn it in this passage, John chapter 19. Uh, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the, the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, he took the disciple into his own household. And so what we see here is the fulfillment of what Simeon prophesied 30 plus years earlier. A sword will pierce your own soul also. And she watched as he was nailed to the cross. And she watched as he hung there for six hours, gasping for breath. And she watched as he died. And she watched as they thrust a spear into his side, just to be sure. What would Mary have been thinking during these difficult hours? Uh, did she hear him say uh, on the road to Jerusalem that, uh, behold, the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem, and the, they will mock him, spit on him, scorn him. They'll put him to death, and three days later he'll rise from the dead. Did she hear that? If she did, did she understand it? Did she know that he was taking on the sin of the entire world so that those who believe in him uh, could be saved from their sin and have eternal life? We just don't know what was going on in her mind at this point, but I think that uh, the thoughts that were going through her mind were probably not theological at this point, right? She was suffering the grief that only a mother can suffer. Uh, all there was was this grief. Mary was the only one there, both when Jesus was born and at the cross. And she wiped his nose and wiped his bottom and changed his diapers and raised him from youth. Uh, and she loved him like only a mother could. And so she's standing at the foot of the cross and she feels unspeakable pain, grief, loss, and confusion over what she's witnessing there. But praise God that the story doesn't end with the crucifixion. Three days later, Jesus did rise and he appeared to his disciples over the course of 40 days. And Mary was among them. And he told his disciples, go wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And so they did that. And when they went to Jerusalem, Mary was there with them to receive the Holy Spirit. 
And so what she learns from the Holy Spirit is that God lives among us and in us. So Jesus has ascended now, and the, and the uh, disciples have all gone back to Jerusalem. And here they are uh, in the beginning of Acts. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So there's Mary. And as Acts chapter 2 begins, the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. What a great story. Here's Mary with all the others. You know, she's different from all the others because she's the chosen one. She was the one anointed by the Lord to give birth to the Messiah. And there was only one woman who could have that distinction. But yet she's the same as everyone else too because she has the same need that everyone else does. She's a sinner in need of a savior just like they all were and just like you are and just like I am. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And Mary learned throughout the course of her life that Jesus was claiming much more than the power and the authority to overthrow Rome. Uh, He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, For some, Jesus was the stumbling block that they stumbled over because they couldn't get past who Jesus was. He was the stumbling block that they rejected. But for others, uh, he was the savior of the world. And for those uh, who he was to be the savior for, uh, they waited and believed in him and they received the Holy Spirit from him. And Mary was right there with them to receive that Holy Spirit. And only those who believe that Jesus died on the cross, lived a perfect life, rose from the dead, uh, and and paid the penalty for our sins can receive the Holy Spirit. And it's clear that Mary believed those things. Uh, Somehow, from the revelation she received back as far as Gabriel, to watching Jesus live a perfect life, uh, to watching him uh, die on the cross, to watching him rise from the dead, to, to understanding of the Hebrew scriptures, she came to an understanding that he wasn't just her son. Uh, He was born to be more than a simple carpenter. He was born even to be uh, more than the savior uh, of the Jews from the Romans. As the angel revealed to Joseph, he came to save them from their sins. Now, I don't know if Mary's understanding at this point of Jesus's death made made this death any easier uh, for Mary. I I don't know. Uh, If I had lost a child, I would take comfort in the fact that there was a purpose in that death, right? That this child died for something great, uh, that he died to save the people from their sins, that, that the child died a hero. I think at Pentecost, Mary may have started to get an inkling of that, that that's what's going on. Jesus said he had to die so that the Holy Spirit could come. And now Jesus has died and the Holy Spirit has come. And so Mary understands a little bit more and, and received comfort in that, knowing that though her son died, he died for something great so that the whole world could have the Holy Spirit uh, if they would choose to believe in Jesus. Now, this is Mary's last appearance in Scripture. We have only tradition and legend to tell us what became of her. Uh, We saw in the passage earlier that uh, John took him into her home, and that means that she probably moved with him to Jerusalem and then later to the churches in Ephesus that John would uh, establish and lead later on. Uh, We think that's what happened to Mary, but we don't know for sure. 
Uh, what we do know is that although Mary was chosen specially to be the mother of this child, she still had to receive salvation by faith, just like we all do. And Mary's in heaven not because she gave birth to Jesus, but because she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior by faith. Uh, she recognized him as her Savior, uh, just like we must. And so, brothers and sisters, that is the gospel message. And because of the gospel message, at Christmas, we have a time of great joy. You know, whatever is going on in our lives right now, if there's any kind of hardship going on in our lives right now, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, we should have great joy. Just think of what Jesus has rescued us to. We have eternity in heaven to discover the wonders and joys of what it means to live and understand and know Jesus Christ. And just as Mary learned about Jesus throughout the course of her life, we have all of eternity to spend uh, soaking up the knowledge and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christmas is a time of joy because God took on human flesh and he became a man and he suffered all the things that we suffer, rejection uh, from friends, a hunger, a pain, thirst, a temptation, betrayal, and even death. Jesus suffered all these things and yet never sinned and he died so that we might live. And so this Christmas, I pray as we've uh, lit the candles of peace and hope and love and now joy that we understand that Paul called any suffering we have here on earth, light and momentary compared with the eternal weight of glory that is going to be ours someday. And so I pray that you have the peace, hope, love, and joy uh, that Christmas brings. And it brings to mind uh, this wonderful hymn, Joy to the World. The Lord has come, let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare his room and heaven and nature sing. To God be the glory. Amen. Lord God, we are just so grateful for your son, Lord, for Advent. Lord, that he came, became a man, lived a sinless life, died on our behalf, Lord, taking the sin on him, the punishment for that sin that we deserve ourselves, Lord, so that we could have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for this season. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the incarnation. And uh, even more so, Lord, we look forward to his second coming when every tear will be wiped away. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we praise you in Christ's holy name. Amen.